Welcome to the Why Not Podcast, a show that celebrates uncertainties through various perspectives and possibilities. So you can inject some inspiration and a dash of that daredevil spirit in your everyday life. I'm your host, Belle Baldoza, a former radio DJ turned storyteller for tech unicorns and a self-confessed pop culture junkie who is on a constant quest to find life's meaning. Join me as we listen to various stories from brave people who found themselves taking the leap at the intersection of I don't know and I can by asking themselves, why not? Today, we're all set to be inspired and learn from Drew Karwa, a serial creative entrepreneur who is currently the CEO and founder of two platforms celebrating creativity and inspiration, Haiku Jam and Inspo. We're going to discuss this very eventful journey, turning his passion for building new things and embarking on entrepreneurship. So get ready for some thought-provoking questions and views coming right up. Stay tuned all the way. Welcome to the Why Not Podcast, Drew. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Val, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. I know, we're really excited. And, and thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. So yes, let's get started, actually, like for the benefit of our listeners. Maybe we can start off by sharing a little bit about yourself and your journey so far. And what are you up to these days? Yeah, sure. In uh, one line, I'm a creative entrepreneur. I've always been really interested in building new things, trying out crazy creative projects that probably don't work, and some of them do end up working, and that's just been having a lot of fun. My entrepreneurial journey started when I was pretty young. I built my first small startup in high school with a bunch of friends when I was 14, and I just caught the bug ever since, not just for entrepreneurship, but any kind of creative project and endeavor. Since then, there's been a bunch of stuff along the way. Most recently is, of course, Haiku Jam, which is it's a social writing game that's helping a million strangers feel better from 144 countries. It's been a really crazy journey. And that product has actually inspired a completely new platform called Inspo, which is an AI inspiration partner designed to enrich creative thinking. So... Working on these products with the team pretty much keeps me busy six, seven days a week. Right now, in my limited spare time, I really enjoy uh, reading and writing fiction. For me, that's like catharsis and making sense of the world. I'm also really into meditation and yoga. And uh, yeah, that's, I think, more or less captures who I am and what I do, hopefully, in, in just a few lines. That's awesome. Great intro. I really love how you share, you basically introduce yourself as a creative entrepreneur. I wanted to dive a little deeper into that, actually. For the benefit of our listeners, you share that you built your first startup or your first business venture at 14 years old, right? Like not a lot of people actually get started on their entrepreneurship journey so early. I wanted to track back on these why not moments that really sparked your journey. And can you share a little bit about these turning points that made you realize that creative entrepreneurship, right, is your path forward in life. What were those pivotal points that made you realize that and really made you jump headlong into this whole journey? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I feel the first one was definitely in high school. And uh, that was a real crystallizing moment that set me on a path that I've been on pretty much ever since. So story is that I used to take the train to school. I was brought up in North England in, in a little town called Doncaster. And I used to take the train to my school in another town called Wakefield. 
And uh, when you're 14 years old, you don't really ever buy newspapers. You read whatever's freely available. And I always, I've always been interested in reading and writing. So on, on the train, I used to uh, pick up this newspaper called The Metro, which is distributed on all the UK transport networks for free. And in short, I hated it. It was, I, I found it a really depressing thing to read at seven o'clock in the morning when you're going to school. Half the paper was just filled with ads. The other half was like really negative, trashy journalism that really just didn't make me feel good. It didn't inspire new thinking. It didn't make me look forward to the day. And it really used to get to me that like millions of people were starting their day like this. Honestly, I, for some reason, it really just bugged me. My friends were so fed up of me complaining on the train. They eventually sat in a different compartment because they're like, oh my gosh, he's just going to start complaining about this, this newspaper again. Until one day I just got, honestly, I just got tired of my own complaints. And I, and I, I just felt like either I should do something about this problem or I should just stop complaining because it's not, not, not achieving anything at all. And truth be told at this point, I, I, I didn't really there was no agenda to start a business. I didn't even really know what entrepreneur meant or what, or anything about that world. I just despised this particular problem. And I felt there should be um, a better way for people to start their day. There should be a newspaper that people open up and it just makes them smile. It makes them feel happier and it inspires new thinking. So being naive and possibly overconfident, I thought, what if I could start a newspaper or actually even before then, how would I solve this problem? Maybe I could get in touch with the Metro and share some feedback. So I actually wrote a, a letter and an email to the Metro and unsurprisingly, they didn't reply. And uh, after a few weeks of just following up, I thought, what, what would stop me from starting a small newspaper that was based on a framework of positive journalism and just positive values, articles that would uplift and inspire someone at seven o'clock in the morning on the train station. And yeah, that was the beginning. I just uh, coming back to your question, I thought, why not? Why not do that? What's actually stopping me? And by no means was it easy. It, it, it took not just a lot of work, but I realized very soon that this seemed like a bit of an impossible challenge. I didn't have, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any journalists. I didn't really know how you structure the company. Getting out a paper on a regular or semi-regular basis is not an easy thing. But I found that every single one of those constraints unlocked a lot of creativity, right? Like we solved each of those problems in a pretty creative and interesting way. So for instance, when it came to the content of the paper, we weren't professional writers. We love to write a little bit and we, did, we, we couldn't hire freelance writers either. But we knew that there's a lot of interesting people on the internet. And what if we just reached out to them and ask them, would you be willing to contribute like an article a month or an article every two weeks? And we contacted all sorts of really interesting eclectic people. There was a guy who was like an explorer in Antarctica, sports editors, musicians, wow. bands, and people were really supportive. We were just amazed at how supportive that people were. And they were just inspired by the mission. They thought, wow, good for you trying to start a newspaper that actually helps people feel good. <laughs> so yeah, each one of those problems, there were big constraints, but just through creativity and sticking with it, we ended up solving them. When it came to the revenue question, we felt a little bit sheepish charging for the paper because we said, we don't buy papers ourselves. So it doesn't make sense to charge for this. And so we just got creative. We thought, what does the Metro do? And what do free newspapers do? They advertise. We'll just do the same. 
And, uh, and again, just we approached it in the same way to the content. We turned to the internet and reached out to a bunch of big brands. We looked at all the brands that the Metro advertised, and I just like emailed and wrote letters to all of them. But this time, the conversion was awful. Very few people got back. It was really demoralizing at the time, actually. Um, I still remember there was this one message from a uh, marketing director at Subway Sandwiches. And uh, he was the only guy that actually replied. And it was a very polite no, but he was quite encouraging and sweet about it. So yeah, that was also a big lesson. Like, why would big brands care about this tiny newspaper that we're starting at the, in the north of England right now? They care about reach. They care about eyeballs. They get care about getting in front of millions of people each day. And we can't offer that. But we are offering a meaningful level of like engagement and scale to local businesses and, and local restaurants and florists and grocery shops that would benefit from an extra 100 customers, an extra 1,000 people coming in the door each week. So we completely pivoted and, yeah, just started pitching local businesses. I skipped lots of school that year and just went <laughs> knocking on doors in Wakefield and the local area and, yeah, pitching advertising space. So I, I think that was the biggest why not moment. And a lot of things happened since then, but that was the, one of the kind of core ones that came to mind. You've come a, like quite a way since then, right? Since spotting a problem, wanting to solve it, wanting to do something scrappy about it. I think I wanted to dive deeper into the learnings that you've had from this experience, because as we all know, since that, since that first plunge into entrepreneurship and building like your first quote-unquote startup, right? Like you've come on to build more of these platforms that really aim to inspire people and share creativity and, and just celebrate that process. Following that why not moment, like how do you use the lessons uh, that you've learned from that first venture to fuel the succeeding ventures that you've embarked on? Great question. That's big, very big question as well. I feel one of the most important realizations for me personally was that it's not actually the kind of material shift that happens once you've made the decision, but it's more like the psychic and psychological shift that takes place when you ask that question, why not? So for instance, like even before that physical door opens, I feel that your mind opens to a lot of possibilities mm. and that's the real key. I find that before any project or piece of writing or any creative undertaking, your mind plays just a lot of tricks on you and convinces you that this is not a good idea or this is going to be too hard or will invoke this fear of deep failure, this fear of rejection. All of this, all of these like awful doubts that just basically keep people paralyzed. But I find what's incredibly empowering about that question of why not is that suddenly, yeah, your the door, you, you, the kind of doors in your mind open up and you start to like actually tackle all of those doubts, all of those risks, and you become really creative. So I, I personally find like the shift in that psychology really interesting. And it's something that I'm looking to apply in my personal life and also all aspects of my professional life now. So just to give you an example, this just came to mind, actually. Something we've been doing as a company every quarter is we have something that we call a radical idea sprint for each of the core products we're developing. And the purpose of this sprint is to come up with moonshot crazy things that may never happen, but it really forces us to stop thinking about the day, to divorce ourselves from like 
the actuality of the business and come up with crazy possibilities without fear of sounding silly, without like any regard for the constraints or the feasibility. And we've done this now for, I think, three quarters. And our, our biggest learning from each of these sessions is that we can actually go for a lot of these ideas, right? Like, why not go for some of them? Because they're a lot more possible than we actually realized just by simply asking the question of why not and articulating them. So I feel that's a, a really big lesson for me because I, I, I see it all the time as well with friends who are starting things. When they haven't articulated the idea and when they haven't actually asked themselves that question, there's just a lot of mental blockages. There's a lot of constraints. And that it, it's about breaking out of that space of paralysis um, and questions like that really help. Yeah. I'd say that's one of the biggest things for me. No, I totally agree. And I think we're the only people who stand in the way of our own progress after all, right? And I really love that concept of the radical idea session and all the doors that have opened for you since you embraced the why not question. And so speaking of doors, right, I wanted to under discover a little bit more about those radical ideas and what are some of those like radical ideas that you've explored and what new doors have opened for you guys ever since you've explored those some of those radical ideas or, or have brought them to life? Okay, so I feel we can go maybe go back a little bit and talk about the transition from Haiku Jam to Inspo mm -hmm. as a product, because that was also just a function of creative thinking and diving really deep into the opportunity. So the context here is Haiku Jam as an app was growing in a really interesting manner across India, across Southeast Asia. Lots of people were writing in the app. I think at the time, almost one line was published every second. Wow. Today, over a, today, over 100 million lines have been published in the platform. And uh, we became really interested in the context of the writing and the context of the conversations that were taking place. And we realized that the only way for us to deeply understand this context is going to be through data science and artificial intelligence. And we just had this hunch and this thesis that there'd be a lot of opportunities and a lot of doors would open if we could understand this. And we asked ourselves the question, like, why not understand it and why not dive a little bit deeper? So we, we transitioned the focus as a company from just being, let's say, a consumer app and a community that was growing to a, a technology-enabled team. And we, we hired an amazing head of technology, of head of engineering and data science. And we started running lots and lots of experiments using the Haiku Jam corpus. So for instance, before we actually built a product like Inspo, um, the experiments that we ran, we just analyzed like a corpus of poems around a particular topic, either for ourselves or for external consumer brands. So one of our first quote unquote clients was Baskin Robbins, actually. And they wanted to understand what does happiness mean to millennials today? And what does ice cream mean? And uh, we were like, okay, that's an interesting question. And we found that there were almost like 100,000 poems, collaborative poems in the app that expressed happiness and something like 30,000, 40,000 recent gems about ice cream. And uh, wow. within, an hour, <laughs> right? um, within an hour, it was all analyzed, understood. And there were a lot of creative opportunities that resulted from that. So for instance, one of the top kind of insights that came to mind was in fact, let me ask you this question. This will be fun if, if, if you can guess the answer to this. Can you guess what is the most common brand name that was discussed in the poems about ice cream? 
I would guess that it wasn't an ice cream brand. <laughs> or, or are you trying to like, or are you referring to an ice cream brand? No, you're right. Your guess is completely spot on. It wasn't ah, an ice cream brand. Love it. What was it? It was Netflix. Whoa. And that was right. in context of their new flavor. Was that in context of the new flavor that they rolled out with uh, Ben and Jerry's? So this is, this is incredible. And um, this was like a year before then. Exactly. And it was funny when we presented the findings as well, because um, none of the Baskin Robbins team and their agency could actually guess. They were all convinced that it was an ice cream brand, mm. um, but it was by far Netflix. That was by far the most loved brand in the context of ice cream. And that unlocked a lot of sort of content and partnership opportunities for the brand. They realized that, wow, the future of ice cream isn't ice cream. It's like streaming and content and stories in the context of ice cream. So just one example of like really interesting little nuggets that we found just through a little bit of analysis. So we continued doing a bunch of these reports for brands, agencies, again, just ourselves, our own social media. And it came to the point we realized that this is a, this, this is a really interesting product opportunity and we need to productize this. And that led to Inspo, which is an, an inspiration engine where you, you type in any keyword, whether it's ice cream, black coffee, old jeans, restlessness. And within seconds, Inspo will present you with associations and creative content around those. So again, just, it, just another example of asking ourselves that question, like, why not explore this? And it's led to a completely new shift for the company and a lot of like creative opportunity. So right. it's a lot of fun. That's an amazing origin story. And like, I've pretty much tried both platforms as well. Like, and I really love them. And they actually like generate a lot of that inspiration and celebrate creativity. And obviously we also have to recognize that the journey is not entirely perfect, right? Yeah. There's always like, there's those bursts of inspiration and joy and discovery. But at the same time, there are also the downsides of that journey. And there are also, I would say some pit stops and delays. And of course, failures. And speaking of failures, yep. what were some of the like some of the failures that you've come across also like throughout this journey? And and how did you learn from them? So I'd say one of the biggest ones was the idea I was working on just before Haiku Jam, because a lot of folks don't know this as well, but Haiku Jam was actually born from a space and context of failure. At the time, I was working on a very different idea. It was uh, an automated electricity and gas bill management system. So not particularly sexy, very different industry, <laughs> uh, very different problem. But it was an amazing problem that we were setting out to solve. We identified that most people are overpaying for electricity and gas in the United Kingdom, and people don't proactively switch between their providers. What if we help them switch by building an automated service that did it for them? And they paid uh, for that service on subscription. Long story short, it was a little bit ahead of its time, not in terms of technology, but just in terms of regulation. Like we couldn't cut through all the government and institutional red tape, raise some money for it, some seed money for it, won a Google hackathon, had to return, had to basically shutter the company within the summer return money back to investors. I'd almost dropped out of college to pursue it full time. And it was crushing. It was like literally the definition of failure. There were VCs willing to fund us if we secured all the sort of regulatory approvals we needed. And all of that was just like gone in an instant. And I was feeling that was a real low point. I felt like I just didn't know what to do with myself. I was staying with my best friend at the time in London at his home. 
And uh, he was, he was really, he wasn't feeling good seeing me so bummed out. So one day just to cheer me up, we went for a cup of tea at one of my favorite places. Cause I, he just said, come on, man, you, you've got to get a, get out of the house and there'll be a new project or write something or let's just go and do something for the afternoon. And uh, yeah, that afternoon was actually quite life-changing. So when we were waiting for the tea to arrive, just on a whim, I took out a notebook and wrote the first line of a haiku poem. As I mentioned to you, I've always loved just writing. I've really uh, had a passion for consuming fiction. And I've always been interested in like little creative writing or creativity exercises that just unlock new thinking. So I, I wrote this line and I thought it'd be really interesting that if my best friend, if he wrote the next line instead of me. And um, honestly, there was no agenda at this point. There was no idea. I, I was like fed up of my own thoughts. I was like not satiated by my own kind of perspective. And I thought it'd be very interesting just to see where he takes this. So he wrote the next line, I wrote the final line. And the next couple of hours, that's all we were doing, like jamming and writing together. And by the end of that session, I was really excited. Again, it was a lot of fun. It was really like cathartic, emotionally insightful. And then I had this urge that wouldn't it be amazing if I could connect with strangers all around the world like this through creativity? What if I could send an artist in South Korea a line of a poem and if she could add to it and then send it to a doctor in San Francisco? And yeah, with the, the context of bringing us together would be a creative moment. And that basically led to Haiku Jam. I don't know, for me, like, I treat, started not to take failure too seriously. Not to say I'm not like, I, I don't fear it. I feel like anyone does, there, anyone doing anything new, like there is this almost like perpetual existential crisis, right? Like, and, and I think that's also, and that's also healthy. It keeps you on your toes and ensures that you, you don't get complacent and you don't take the opportunity for granted. But at the same time, I feel like what you are defining as failure and seeing as failure is just an opportunity in disguise, right? Around the corner, there's something and you've just got to persevere and, and, and see it through and support yourself with friends and family as well. I feel like if my best friend had not been there, I would never have been in that particular space to come up with something new. I'm sorry, I completely forgot your question. Maybe that was a little bit too tangential, but that was, oh yeah, right, about failure. That, I'd say that was one of the biggest failures and it actually led to something pretty interesting and curious. Yeah, I feel like failures shouldn't be taken too seriously and failures, it's just, again, it's an opportunity for learning. No doubt it hurts, it's scary, it is painful. Definitely not dismissing any of that, but ultimately it comes down to what you are pursuing. And if you're excited, if you genuinely care about your pursuit, there will be hurdles, there will be like little failures along the way stumbling blocks but it's okay because around those around those there's something really interesting just waiting to be realized and, and that's such a wonderful perspective really and and you've you've got such a beautiful answer to that question because of course like failures will always be there because that's what life is about there's always like the ups right. and downs but i think like in the spirit of embracing why not it's all also about really uncovering 
like the meaning of these failures and making something out of them that might not necessarily be there like in your face or it might not be the obvious decision, but it's, it is there if you are willing to find it. And if there are, of course, like people who will support you, like your friends and family um, who are rallying behind you as well. Um, so that's, that's a really great story. I love that. I, I didn't know about the origin story <laughs> of Haiku Jam. I stumbled upon Haiku Jam one day and I was just like, wow, this is just amazing how you can actually share like that creative moment with people. Such an eye opener uh, for me to actually find out a little bit more about its origin story today. Now, like you are underway with building these two platforms, engaging people from all over the world to celebrate creativity and obviously being very deep in the tech ecosystem. And as we know, like pretty much right now, everybody wants to be in tech. Everyone, <laughs> every company wants to be a tech company. It has become become such a byword. And I would say like some, something of an aspirational career or like an industry to be in. And obviously like startups are made and born every day and also die every day. How do you, as a creative serial entrepreneur, how do you set yourself apart and how, how do you cut through the clutter of all of this at the moment? It's a really interesting question. So many ways that you could answer it, I guess. I feel like for me, it's about reframing the problem a little bit. So for me personally, I feel like digital technology, it's just an expression of people and their interests. And I feel that if you figure out who you are and what you're in, super interesting question, lots of different ways that you could tackle it. I think for me personally, it's about reframing the question and the problem a little bit. So for instance, like digital technology for me, it's just an expression of people and their interests. And if you figure out who you are, what you care about, the problems that you want to solve or the kind of things that you want to put out into the world, I feel you will be fine and you will never need to worry about clutter. I feel the biggest thing that cuts through clutter is authenticity and being authentic is just being you. And there's no one better at being you than you. Sound like a, a self-help kind of coach there. But <laughs> I feel it's, it's really true because I feel clutter comes from when people just like copy each other. And there's a lot of like commoditized ideas and it becomes a little bit draining. Every other idea or company feels the same. And it's a lot of the time because people are just jumping on a bandwagon as opposed to being genuinely interested in what they are doing. Whether you're interested in creativity, fiction, whether you're interested in cars, whether you're interested in climate change, or even like brewing coffee, just dive deep into that interest. Um, because if you genuinely care about it, that is the best kind of competitive advantage that you can have, because you will go to a place and dive deeper than any of your competitors will. So yeah, don't really worry about the clutter. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Figure out what you want to do. Figure out who your customer is and the community that you're looking to serve. I think there's a really famous like Jeff Bezos quote about that. Don't worry about the competition. Just think about your customer. And I'd extend that to think about yourself as well, not in a selfish way, but in an introspective sense, who are you and what do you care about? And um, what are the kind of things that you want to work on? Yeah. I, I feel that's what I tell myself. And again, on a, on a personal note, like I feel a little bit sheepish working in technology because I'm not actually that interested in technology. 
a number of my friends who knew me like growing up were, were really shocked when they're like, what, you're running like a technology startup now? Like you never really <laughs> were like a technology early adopter. No, I, I, I always just had creative interests and I was interested in how do you bring those interests to the world and how do you build cool things around them? And technology just happened to be like a really amazing enabler. Yeah, just be you and and and, and work on something you care about. I feel like yeah. that, that takes care of most of it. Exactly. And, and generally find a problem that you want to solve. I think like going back to your, like your original why not moment, you're right. Like that kind of set you on this path. I think that's really very good advice. And I guess right now we're in a very, let's just say a very extraordinary time for everybody. I love the word extraordinary to describe the very interesting <laughs> times that we're in amidst this global pandemic. And I think like during this time, just given that everyone's lives have been disrupted in some capacity, I feel feel like the pandemic has served as a forcing function, right? Like a catalyst yeah. um, to rethink, to rethink like just how we've been existing, how we've been working, how we've been interacting with others. And I do remember like having spent most of my career in tech myself. I like remember like around four years ago, three to four years ago, hustle, the, the value of the hustle was celebrated so much. And now like I observe that like this entire hustle culture in light of what is going on, in light of all of this rethinking and introspecting and taking a step back, it's really been questioned and, and I would say devalued in that sense. And as an entrepreneur, you are in the business of constantly building things, ideating things, coming up with things. And there is a kind of certain amount of hustle involved in that. And given this time, obviously, like where people are really encouraged to look within themselves, take a step back and reevaluate what's next for them, right? How do you balance? How do you keep your hustle in check? How do you make sure that like you strike that healthy balance in terms of the hustle? be creative <laughs> in two words all right and and the context for that is that so I, I definitely used to be one of these people arguably i still am but a little bit more aware hopefully of it but i always used to think hard work alone would would take you forward and we of course worked like crazy hard building up hypergem we've done like unthinkable things like our first two million dollars that we raised was again, came out of a, a lot of rejection. We were getting turned down by like every investor in Europe and the US and, but our little community in Southeast Asia and India was growing organically. I sent lots of cold emails to investors in India. One VC somehow miraculously replied. We got on a call. Two days later, I was on a one-way flight to Mumbai. Six months later, we raised our first 2 million bucks. And that was because like we did, we hustled, like we did Un did things like we didn't have meetings scheduled, but I just turn up at their office and like request for a quick cup of coffee and catch a partner on the way. But I think in more recent times, I've just learned that ultimately you want to work just smarter and more consciously than just mindlessly working hard and burning out because life is just to be enjoyed. And if you're just not present and constantly tired, you don't even enjoy like the fruits of that product, the fruits of that labor, you're just like miserable actually. And also, honestly, I feel machines are going to be much better at hustling quote unquote than us. They can do a lot more like perform actions, calculations. Uh, so if that's the game that you're playing at some point, you're just not going to, you're going to be like beaten almost. Right. And, and I don't think it's like a, 
it's a particularly healthy way to think or live. So my perspective right now is that machines are just amazing at optimization and humans are really good at being creative. So rather than, again, thinking about how do I hustle, just reframe that problem. Like, how do I creatively do whatever it is that I'm trying to do? And then, yeah, of course it takes hard work. We're not saying like you shouldn't work hard, but I feel that you should really enjoy the ride because the journey is always uh, a lot sweeter than the destination. I feel even in those really difficult moments, there's a lot of like team bonding that happens during those. I'm sure you will relate to this and all the work that you've done, like during a lot of those like crises and when your back is truly against the ropes, there's a lot of amazing things that happen in those moments. And if you can be present for them and enjoy them, it just leads to a much, a much richer professional experience and thereby a much richer life. Yeah, just be creative and enjoy it. <laughs> I think that's very simple, straightforward advice, but it couldn't be re really any more meaningful also given the things that you've built. And we have learned so much, a lot of great pieces of advice from your journey. Um, and I think I wanted to get your perspective and advice <clears throat> for people who are still on defense about like starting their own thing. I've talked to several people who are currently right now juggling a a full-time job, but at the same time having a startup on the side and are on the fence on when it comes to really taking the plunge and devoting their entire time to their, their entrepreneurial venture. What would you say <clears throat> to these people right now who are still really on the cusp of embracing their why not moment, but they haven't fully jumped into it yet? So I would say enjoy being on the fence <laughs> and uh and that's not something i would have said i feel a few years ago i'd have probably said something like just go for it you will enjoy it follow your heart follow your passion and all of that but i feel the truth is that there's just no manual for this we are all like making it up as we go along what works for me won't work for you what works for you probably won't work for me and there are some people who love going from zero to one right? They, they, they almost get like an adrenaline kick out of it. I feel I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm really comfortable with a blank piece of paper and a lot of uncertainty. Other people, that terrifies them. They just, they just feel, no, no, no. I need, like, before I go full-time on something, uh, I need to be absolutely sure. And that's completely great. And, and that, that's a very, like, pragmatic approach as well. So what I would say is stay on the fence and gradually step down. You don't need to jump. Run your experiments start prototyping your idea. There's so many really cheap ways that you can test an idea. Like again, Haiku Jam was arguably the first version wasn't an app. It was, uh, it would happen in a notebook with two friends over a cup of tea. The next version, again, I don't think anyone knows this, but it was actually a Google spreadsheet. Before we built an app, we literally created this little Google spreadsheet, sent it to 60 friends, uh, 30 friends and 30 strangers on Tumblr and Twitter who wrote like micro poetry and just gave them the rules that you can, you can write together on the spreadsheet. And they, were so, they loved it so much and they were doing it so much that we said, hey, this is really interesting. Maybe we should like turn this into a core product. Basically, there's so many ways that you can like cheaply and in a risk, relatively risk-free manner, test your idea. Um, and that will just give you more and more conviction. And, that, and you'll come to a point where it's not even a question anymore. Like the only way to go on is to jump and you won't even have to ask yourself that question, do I need to jump now? And if you're actually asking yourself that question, do I need to jump, and it feels like a bit of a gulf, then there's probably a bit more work to do. 
and that you should right. stay on so, the fence a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, just enjoy being on the fence because it's also like being on the fence is like, for me, it's almost an enviable position now where, okay, let's say you have an income from coming from another job and you have, you are free to fail. Actually, if your experiments don't work, doesn't matter. You didn't invest any capital. You didn't raise any money. You didn't lose anything. And you learn a lot along the way and it will lead to a new experiment. But yeah, enjoy those experiments. And as soon as I think like you have conviction in one or it starts to bear fruit, then go for it. And you won't even need, I think, motivation at that point. You'll just know that it's the right thing to do and you just uh, move into it. So yeah, jumping headlong doesn't need to be rash. It can be like tortoise in the hair, like slow and steady. Just take your time and build the conviction that you need. And that's really good advice. It's a very, I would say, rational measure, but at the same time, very insightful piece of advice from someone who's actually gone into the whole process himself. And yeah, maybe you can invite our listeners uh, to discover more about the platforms um, that you've built promoting creativity and inspiration. Where do we find you? Haiku Jam, you can find on the Google Play Store. It's an Android app. You just type in Haiku Jam and it's there. Inspo right now, it's in private beta and we're onboarding people manually through a waitlist. But if you're interested in trying it out, you can sign up at, at inspo.co. Um, and otherwise, I'm writing about a lot of this stuff on Twitter. My handle is my full name, at Drupad Karwa. And uh, yeah, I'm there and love to connect with whoever's listening to the show. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us, Drew. We will check out Haiku Jam and Inspo and uh, all the best to your upcoming projects and uh, keep inspiring. Thank you so much, Belle. This was so much fun. Thanks a lot. And thank you for listening to the Why Not podcast. We hope we've helped inspire and empower you to ask yourself why not and find out what's next for you. For everyone who's tuned in, we would appreciate it if you could show some love for this podcast by leaving us a review on this channel or feel free to send us questions, suggestions, rants, and raves all welcome at hello at whynotpodcast.com. For the latest and greatest, follow us on our social media channels at whynotthepodcast. Until next time, sending good vibes your way. Your way.